Is that your prayer this morning? Those are words from your heart that God would show us Christ through his word. What an encouraging, couple of encouraging verses. It's food for famished souls. Do you feel famished? You, you hungry this morning? You ready to eat from God's word? Riches for the needy soul. Uh, we come needy. We need help. We're struggling. We're hurting. We're hungry. And so I hope you've come with that, that you are coming, desiring to hear from what God has to say to us from his word. I'm so grateful for the leadership that God has raised up in our church that uh, on short notice we have men who are able to step in and uh, not just fill in, uh, but to serve the Lord faithfully, and our church doesn't miss a beat. And so I'm very thankful for those who last week stepped in where, when I could not be here. And I'm thinking about just taking some more weeks off on short notice just to kind of build that and grow that. And, and uh, so anyway, um, it's good to be back. It's good to see many of you back, and we've been in and out, and, and there's been a lot of sickness and things, but uh, it's good to be here together. There's no better place to be on a Sunday morning than right here. And uh, it's such a joy to be here, and I, I enjoy that um, maybe more than any of you, but especially as much as any of you, so we praise God for that. You can open your Bibles this morning into Proverbs 24. I don't have a page number here, so Proverbs 24. We'll be turning to a couple different passages this morning as we focus in on what I would have talked about last Sunday. I prepared this message for last Sunday, which was Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, But uh, this topic needs to be spoken on, preached on, dealt with from the scriptures, whether it's a week late or not. And so we're going to cover it uh, this week, though we would have covered it last week. 49 years ago on January 22nd, 1973. How many of you were born after that date? January 22nd, 1973. How many of you were born after that date? Raise your hand up. That means you're young, okay? All right, that, that's, that's good. I'm looking around. I, I f- barely fit in that group. And so as you look at someone who looks this ancient and is this old, just think that Roe v. Wade was handed down before I was born. That's how old this decision is. And next year, it'll be 50 years. 50 years. I, I, it's just, when you, when you think about it, legalized murder in this nation. 50 years of it. Does not, I mean, just, you know, we've been reading, some of you, many of you have been reading through the Bible Reading Challenge, and so many of us have read Genesis 4 even in this last month. But uh, when one person was murdered... Cain slew Abel, and what did the ground do? The blood from the ground cried out. Can you imagine over 63 million, million babies murdered? Does not the blood cry out from the ground of the United States of America? And that's, that's really just those that we know about. Um, some are estimating because of the morning after pill and other... Um, so-called birth control that actually aborts a baby after conception, that the number of dead babies after conception, living human beings, could be in the billions in the United States of America. Anyway, it's not necessarily... I thought about preaching a message from Genesis 4 and Genesis 18, and that was too much work, so I stayed with something a little bit simpler today. But uh, those are the thoughts that are on my mind. Um, 
Well, the, the passage I was thinking about from Genesis 18, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but you can look at Genesis 18. Leave your finger in, in Proverbs 24. Genesis 18, 20 to 26 says this. This is the Lord who came and spoke to Abraham. Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous from with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it if for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked? Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find... At Sodom, 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. What is the outcry again for our nation? When God comes down to see, what will he find in the United States of America? Will the Lord spare our nation because of the righteous who are in it? Are there enough righteous for God to spare our entire nation? I don't know. Do we not see the hand of judgment upon us as a nation for a multitude of wickednesses, not just this one? And I wonder, if there are righteous in this land, what would the righteous be doing in the face of such evil? And you think about Sodom and Gomorrah, you can read the story and see the wickedness, and you have to think about a righteous lot living in that place. What would he do that would demonstrate his righteousness? Well, so many questions. Well, before we dig into this topic... Before we go any farther in this topic, let's pray together. Lord, we need your help. Show us Christ. Show us our sin. Show us the payment of Christ on the cross for our sin. And show us what is right and good that we might walk in your ways. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. My theme is this, obedient Christians, righteous ones, must be actively involved in rescue work. Obedient Christians, those who are righteous, must be actively involved in rescue work. Now, as I say that, I want to make it clear that I don't believe everyone is called to the same rescue work. But all Christians are called to some rescue work. What do we say about missions or evangelism? When we talk about that, we preach on that, do we say that every Christian should leave and go to a foreign land to be a missionary? Do we say that? No, do we say that every person has to go downtown and hand out tracts at every evangelistic opportunity that we have? Do we say that every Christian is called to the same work of evangelism and missions? No, we don't say that. So here, we say the same kind of thing. With evangelism and missions, we say either you pray, everyone has to pray, or give, some can give financially to the work, or go, pray, give, or go. We can all do something in evangelism and missions, and the same thing is true here with rescue work, life-saving work. We can pray, we can give, we can go, but we all must do something in this effort. And and I have to say for myself, as I have come to realize more and more um, what my own responsibilities are, I'm, I'm trying to determine what that looks like for me. How involved should I be? Where should I be involved? What has God called me to do? What has God called our church to do? That is something we should be praying about individually, but also praying about together, which is the nature of what I prayed earlier. And so pray. 
Pray for yourself. Pray for our church. Pray for me that we know what it looks like to rescue the perishing. And I take that primarily from Proverbs 24. So hopefully you're still there, Proverbs 24. I'm going to start in verse 10 and read through verse 12, where it says this, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. There it is. Rescue the perishing. If you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? And so here's the theme, and here's the message, and here's the the framework for which we're going to talk about uh, the wickedness of abortion in our land. First of all, God's people have been given the task of rescue. God's people have been given the task of rescue, Proverbs 24. We are commanded by God to defend the lives of the innocent, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. We are commanded. And we will not be able to claim, as he says later, we'd like to claim we didn't know what was going on. We just, behold, we we didn't know what what was taking place. We would like to claim ignorance in this matter because if we are ignorant of what's happening, what can we then do? I have no responsibility. If I'm ignorant of something, I don't have any responsibility. But what's this verse or this passage implying about our ignorance? Are we truly ignorant? Do we not know what is happening in our land? We might not want to look at it. We might not want to think about it. We might not want to focus on it. But we know. And God knows that we know. And this passage tells us that now we know that God knows that we know. There you go. So... That's the responsibility that we have. And we know that God will hold us accountable. That's the end of that. God will hold us accountable. Will he not repay man according to his work? If we are disobedient in this matter, what will God do on that day we stand before him? We would like to be able to claim ignorance, but we will not be able to do that. And so that's the the focus, the, 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 the marching orders, the command, rescue the perishing. Now, when we do this rescue work, so I'm going to spend a lot of time on that. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty clear. When we do this rescue work, there's some things we must do when we do that, and that is we must define sin biblically. God's people must define sin biblically. Where do we find that? We find that in Exodus. So turn with me. I know you're trying to fill in the blanks. The blank will be there. Exodus 21. Turn to Exodus 21, verse 22. If we are going to do the rescue work in light of the sin, the wickedness that is child sacrifice, child murder, we must be able to, we must follow through on defining sin biblically. And we find the the idea for this and the, the framework for this in Exodus 21, starting in verse 22. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the husband's, woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judge determined. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. What does this passage tell us about the death of the child in the womb? 
that it is a human being that deserves the protection of law so that if that child dies due to the sinful actions of another person, what is it called? Murder. And what is the penalty for murder in the scripture? Death. There it is. It's the same penalty. There is no distinction. So this tells us as God's people that we need to understand that abortion is murder and we must call it murder. It's easy for us to be sucked into using the world's euphemisms for sin. You know how this works? Well, you know, they had an affair. Oh, there's an affair. What's an affair? Oh, that's adultery. Oh, that sounds a lot worse than an affair. You know, well, we just have choice. We just have, even just calling it abortion moves us away from what the Bible calls it and how we must define it as child murder, murder of a child in the womb. That's what it is. You know, if we just said, well, you know, so-and-so, we just aborted so-and-so, really? Yeah, 44-year-old was murdered. He was just aborted. His, his life came to an end. You know, we, we don't use that kind of language if we want to sustain the truthfulness of what's taking place. And so it's clear that the biblical pen, penalty for physical harm ending in death is capital punishment, now, this isn't the only sin or crime that should receive capital punishment. Notice that in the scripture. So we, we talk about capital punishment for murder, and there's capital punishment for other crimes as well. But the penalty here defines the sin, defines the crime. The Bible is clear that any harm done to the baby in the womb is the same as harm done to a baby, child, or adult outside the womb. And the reason for that is this simple fact. The baby in the womb is a person. The baby in the womb is an image bearer of God. When did that baby become an image bearer with the full protection of God's law? At conception. Does that say that here? Be careful of trick questions on Sunday morning from the pulpit. Does the Bible here say that the baby in the womb is a person, a human being, Bearing the image of God at conception. Good job. Yes, it does. And why is that? (laughs) How do we see that here? Because there is no limiting factor on the ending of a pregnancy. I don't like using that terminology, but you understand what I'm saying. When a baby comes out Before they are ready, when the baby dies in the womb, there is no limiting factor on when that baby is a human so that the penalty only applies after four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, 20 weeks. You notice that, right? There's no limiting factor. So at any time that a woman knows she's pregnant, at any time that a a child would come out before it was due and that child is dead, it doesn't matter the age and stage. As far back as you can determine that, the penalty would be applied. And as far back as we can determine it today is what? Conception. I looked up uh, ultrasound, 3D ultrasound images of an eight-week-old baby. Eight weeks. Many of you never knew you were pregnant until sometime around eight weeks or more. It is amazing. It is amazing. It is (laughs) just, just do your own Google searches. The head, the heart is beating, the arms, the hands, the feet, the limbs. You know, even on the old ultrasounds, you can tell the shape 
at eight weeks. It's hard to determine a woman is pregnant earlier than that in many ways. And so we, we know that the, the idea here is at a time, at a time when there is more information on what is taking place inside the womb of a pregnant woman, what is going on with this little baby in the womb, when there's more information than ever known to man ever, we have decided that with more information, we think that that's not a human being. These backward, ignorant, Stone Age Jewish people knew better. And so do we. And so do we. There's no way, there's no denying it. So, what, what, what must we do? Secondly, we must be prepared to defend that truth against lies. Defend that truth against lies. It's not a baby, it's a fetus. Well, define fetus. <laughs> you know what a fetus is? An unborn human baby. <laughs> so why are you speaking Latin? Fetus is a Latin word. Why would someone speak Latin instead of speak English? Because they're trying to do what? They're trying to avoid the truth. So that's just a fetus. Oh, you mean that's just an unborn human baby? We already knew that. Now we both agree. It is a human baby. It's just unborn. That's a fetus. Well, then they say it's not a baby. It's a mass. We've already talked about that with the 3D ultrasound. But now, because of the information being so ubiquitous, so, so well-known throughout our society, if you tell a woman entering a, an abortuarium, you cry out to that woman and you say, are you going to kill your baby? Now they no longer say it's not a baby. Now they say, I know it's a baby, but I should have the right to kill it anyway. In fact, have you heard of the new thing, shout your abortion? Be proud of what you did. Let everyone know. Don't hide in shame, but let it. They know it's a baby, and now the, the information is so well known that now they don't say, well, it's not a baby anymore. That's not really the, the, the main thing. They do that sometimes, but now the idea is I should have a right to kill it anyway. I know what it is. I'm not denying that any longer. I should just have a right to kill it. And that leads us into something we need to understand as we fight against this wickedness as we define things biblically. The way we deal with this is the acronym SLED. So if you didn't pick up on that, uh, at least one teenager picked up on that with SLED earlier before the sermon, so it was good. And hopefully you saw that as well. The first thing there, the S, is stands for size. Size. How big do you need to be to not be murdered? What size makes something human under the protection of law? If they say, well, it's only an inch long, well, what if it's only a foot long? What if it's only three feet long? If you're, what if you never reach full maturity? Just think about what this is talking about. How many preemies should be put to death? How many children who are small? Were you one of those children who were undersized? You went to the doctor and they measured you and say, he's in the 49th percentile. percentile. Oh, he's a small one. Well, let's knock him off and start again. Wait, where, where's the limiting principle on size? And for those who advocate the murder of children in the womb, they have no limiting principle. We don't care about the size because the size is not what determines the image of God. It's life. And so as soon as you start saying, well, it's really small, it's really tiny. Well, how many really small people are here this morning? <laughs> you know, under the average, what do we do then? Well, L, level of development. That's another part. 
They say you can kill the baby in the womb because it's not fully developed. Well, what is fully developed? They cannot define it. They will not define it because as soon as they begin to define fully developed, you look down, down the row or behind you in front of you and you find a teenager. You say, are they fully developed? Now, there's so many things about a teenager that are not fully developed. And yes, yeah, sometimes you want to kill them. But legally, you can't. Morally, you can't. For good reason. So fully developed, what does that mean? Fully developed is just a difference of degree. It's just a difference of change. And this is where the argument moves from inside the womb to outside the womb. A one-year-old, a two-year-old, there are those who advocated for the murdering of babies in the womb who now advocate for the murder of small children outside the womb. Why? Because they understand that with this idea, this argument of level of development, that this can just go on and on. When are you fully mature? They say that the brain is not fully matured until you're 25. So anyone under 25 here, watch out. We might apply this law in many other ways. That's the problem. Letter E, environment. Environment. They want to say, well, this is my body, my choice. Have you heard that lately? They're not shouting that as much as they used to anymore. Because there's a problem with that in light of mass mandates. My body, my choice. Well, we, it's hard to keep consistent with all of these ungodly things. My body, my choice. Well, it might be in your body, but the child in your womb is not your body. It's not your body. And the reason we know that is because when you have the baby murdered, what happens to the body of the mother? It still lives. If it was your body that was being put to death, what would happen after the act? You would be dead and not your baby. So when the baby is murdered, we know it's not the mother. We know it's not the body of the mother. We know, though it might be in the mother, it's not the mother because the mother lives through it most of the time. Not all of the time, because it is a dangerous activity, if I can put it those words. Not just for the baby, but also for the mother. And so environment is foolishness. Because there's no environmental argument to killing someone else. And that's what the baby is. The baby is someone else, no matter where it is. You know, when you live in my house, you live according to my rules. <laughs> this is my environment. Don't cross me, or that might be the end of you, right? Okay, sorry, I'm just having kid reactions here, teenage reactions, um, flashbacks. Yeah, D, degree of dependence. Degree of dependence. And this is the best one for teenagers, degree of dependence. How many teenagers and young adults would be in danger if we applied this principle of dependence upward? You know, the 35-year-old young man still living in his parents' basement. Well, we've had enough. He's so dependent, we can still put him to death. Why? Because he can't live on his own. <laughs> Who gets to determine the level of dependence? And that's not only a problem at the beginning of life. We've seen that for decades now in this country at the end of life. Dementia. Can't feed themselves, can't take care of themselves. They are dependent. And we know that dependence starts in the womb, it comes out of the womb, and it goes on for far too long many times. And then they finally get independent about the time you are beginning to be dependent on them to come over and take care of you, to house you, to change your diaper. Okay, never mind. Um, you know, this is the things that happen. If you need someone to take care of you, what does that mean? I mean, we know this in our own church. You know, Matthew Taylor, 
has, has to be cared for or he cannot survive. Should we be allowed to just put Matthew Taylor to death because he is dependent? God forbid. But notice, this, these arguments have no limiting principle, and as soon as our culture continues to move, they will continue to expand who fits in these definitions. It's wickedness. It's wickedness. Well, sometimes they want to fight for reproductive rights. Let me give you some help on how to speak to this truthfully, reproductive rights. The problem with reproductive rights is that once you have a baby, you've already reproduced. Your rights have already been lived out. You've had the right, you acted on that right, and you have a baby, you've reproduced. So no one has restricted your right to become pregnant. It's not about reproductive rights. What you want is the right to murder your child. When do we start talking about murder rights? Who has the right to murder others? What about the idea that places like Planned Parenthood and other clinics provide health care? We provide health care. We should be supported by the government. We should be allowed to operate. I will just make this very clear. All the services provided by Planned Parenthood are provided elsewhere. That's why we support the Pregnancy Resource Center to help people who need help with ultrasounds, need help with pregnancy, need help with doctor bills, we, that need help with clothing, that need those kind of help because those services are provided elsewhere. All of the so-called health care that Planned Parenthood does is provided elsewhere. The only essential service they provide is murdering babies. So if you want to shut those places down, give... Take a baby bottle. A baby bottle drive is going on right now. If you didn't get a baby bottle, well, I said that really fast, didn't I? If you <laughs> what's that tongue twister, baby, baby? Never mind. Um, if you didn't get a baby bottle, there's some in the workroom. There's some out on uh, on the welcome center. Take one, take two, fill it up, and support the pregnancy resource center so that women who are considering what to do with a child in the womb have no excuse. And this is our responsibility to care for those who need help. We can't say we want you to take care of your child if we're not willing to step in and help those who have real needs. So we want to do that. Well, another argument is what about rape? This is an emotional appeal. What happens is there's about 2% of the cases that have to do with rape or incest or something of that kind of nature. 2% of abortions, 2% of children who are murdered in the womb fit in the category of rape or incest, something like that, 2%. And what do people who are advocating for child sacrifice want to do with 2%? They want to make everything about the 2% and not about the 98%. And so they expand that 2% to make it sound like that's the entire argument. It's fallacious. It's terrible. What is fascinating about the argument for rape is this. Listen carefully. I'm trying to give you some ways to, to deal with people who might disagree with you. The problem with using rape is that what the person who argues that rape is an exception and that we should allow children to be murdered because they're a uh, product of, of, of rape, what they argue for in abortion is, is exactly what you argue against in rape, bodily autonomy. They're saying the body of the, the mother was violated in rape, so because of that bodily violation, what should we do to the body of the baby in the womb? Violate it. If they want to argue rape, you say, on what basis do you think that bodies that are not your own cannot be violated? 
They say, well, because it's my body. So we're going to do the body of the baby in the womb. Well, we can kill that body. Do you see how they are inconsistent at the core? And inconsistency is not the proper word for it. So one more thing on that. In the scripture, what's the penalty, biblical penalty for rape? Death penalty. What should happen to a rapist? They should be put to death. That would slow down that 2% quite a bit in our country. If we followed the biblical parameters with biblical penalties for biblical sin and crime, then we would be biblical. We believe in the death penalty when a rape occurs, just not that penalty being enacted on the child in the womb. Did you hear what happens? There's a wicked crime committed, and who pays? The child in the womb, not the man or woman who, cre- who committed the rape. And so here we have a sin problem that needs to be dealt with biblically. And if we dealt with it biblically, we'd be able to do those things. So we believe in the death penalty. We believe stronger in the wickedness of rape than the person is using rape as an excuse to kill. Are we with me? Understood? I could go on, but I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. So, point three. What's our response? God's people must speak the truth in love. What do we say? How do we speak the truth in love? First thing we do to someone, anyone who's contemplating abortion, contemplating murdering the child that is in their womb, or supporting or helping someone else do the same, is we say this, please don't murder your child today. We use the word murder, we use it over and over and over and over. Every time we talk about abortion, I would encourage you to say child murder instead child sacrifice. These terms are, well, that's offensive. Yes, it is offensive. That's the point. Your action is a gross wickedness. My terminology is not the problem of it. My terminology is biblical. And if it bothers you, that's the point. It should, but not the words. How many times do people get offended by words, but just go ahead and do the action that the words are defining as if there's no problem with the action? We are a culture of offense who has no problem with the activities that these words define. That's not just in this case, but across the board. And we as Christians are so worried about offending people with our words that we're okay with allowing them to go on ignorantly or sometimes knowingly in their actions because we're worried about the offense of words, not the offense of sin. So we say that, and we say that kindly. Please don't murder your child today. Well, that's, that's not very kind. Yes, it is kind. We call sin, sin. We use biblical terms because this is a spiritual battle. This is a battle between right and wrong, good and evil, the Holy Spirit and Satan. We believe that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of truth, by the word of God, which is also known as the Bible. So faith comes by the truth of God's word, and we define things according to the scripture. God's defined it. We as Christians, if we don't fight for biblical definitions, and we haven't, we are losing across the board culturally because we've allowed the culture to redefine things to get away from the truth of what wickedness is taking place. So we call it murder, and we say it over and over because that's the truth. And anyone who participates in the murder of a child will stand before God someday to give an account for murder, not for choice, uh, not for freedom, not for liberty, not, not for any of those things, but just for murder. 
Now, the second part of this that we must communicate just as much, just as loudly, just as clearly, is that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Turn from sin and come to Christ. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Turn from sin and come to Christ. There's no way that I sit here today before an audience this large and think that in an audience this large, there's not someone who has been an active participant in this sinful act. Now, is my goal today to increase or to remind someone who has sinned in the past of their wickedness, someone who's been forgiven by Jesus Christ through faith in him of their wickedness? Is that my goal here, to try to make someone who has dealt with their sin in Christ to now feel like they have to deal with it again? No, not at all. One of the great things about forgiveness found in Jesus Christ is that when you come to Christ and trust in him for forgiveness of any sin, including the sin of murder, what does God do with your sin? The wrath of God is satisfied in what person on your behalf? Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. You are now accounted what in Christ? Righteous in Christ. So that your sin, the wickedness of any sin you've committed when you trust in Christ, has been paid for in Christ so that it's removed from you as far as the east is from the west, down to the depths of the sea. That's how far your sin is removed from you. And not only is sin removed from you because it's been paid for in Christ, but what is given to you? The righteousness of Christ. So that on the books in heaven... When God the Father opens the books and finds your name and he looks at you to see what sins you've committed that he can pour out his wrath upon you for eternity, what will he find in the book? For the Christian, is it blank? Sin forgiven. No, it's not blank. Though that is true, all sin forgiven. What's there instead? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. So for the woman walking into the abortion clinic, for the woman walking out of the abortion clinic, the message is that there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Turn from sin and come to Christ. Now, the problem with this message is that in one thing, it is absolutely true. That's not a problem, and it's true. But the problem is this, that the woman going into the abortion clinic who has not yet committed this murderous act, participated in it, is already banking on the forgiveness of Christ before she walks in. I'll tell you one thing that this irreligious pagan culture that we live in believes in. They might deny there's a God, but they believe in the love of Christ. Did you hear I said that? There is no God, but Jesus Christ loves everybody. (laughs) They cannot get over enough. They are banking on that fact that Jesus Christ will forgive them. That they can do anything and they will be forgiven. That they can commit any sin and be forgiven because God loves them. They are banking on that. So if you try to tell someone who's going to get an abortion, God loves you, he'll forgive you, you know what they'll say to you? Yep. And then walk right in and commit the... That's what they're counting on. So we preach the forgiveness of Christ, and that's why the second part of the statement is so important. Turn from sin and come to Christ. Don't commit the wicked act. Don't commit the wicked act banking on God's forgiveness. Turn to Christ for forgiveness for even contemplating the wicked act and do not commit the sin. It's a sin of murder. And God will hold you accountable. 
But for all who have sinned, there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's a fine line that we, we, we walk here because we must give absolutely no comfort, no encouragement. We must not talk about the mercy of God, the grace of God, as someone is contemplating wickedness. We talk about the judgment of God. But for all who, facing the judgment of God, turn from their sin and turn to Christ, they will find forgiveness for any sin, including the sin of murder. Now, does that mean that if you commit the sin of murder, there are no consequences in this life? Haven't you, Christian, found out that despite, in, in, even with God's eternal forgiveness and the righteousness of Christ on your account, that you have faced consequences in this life for the sinful choices you've made? Some of those consequences will last your life. So for a young woman here, a teenager, or a young woman contemplating either now just in theory or even in practice, contemplating murdering their, their child, I just have to say that, that you will pay dearly. Even if you find forgiveness in Christ, you will pay dearly. It's, it's a terrible thing, unbelievably terrible thing. Now, the third thing we want to say to people is we will help you. Why are you doing this? Why are you thinking about doing this? We will help you. What do you need? Food, clothing, housing? We will, we must be willing to financially put our money where our mouths are. That's what I'm calling you to do today. I'm calling you to do, because every one of us can do two things here today, almost every one of us, but all of us can do one thing, we can all pray. We can all pray daily for abortion to end. Praise God, since I moved here, that the abortion clinic downtown, the Planned Parenthood downtown has shut down. There's no abortion clinic in Owasso. Praise God for that. There's still abortions that take place in our county, I believe. I don't know the statistics. I'm not aware of all the numbers. Maybe someone knows that. I'm not as well informed as I could be. So we want God to end abortion in our town, in our county, and in our state. What can we do? Pray. We can all pray. Secondly, almost every one of us here can give. $5, $10, $5,000, whatever. How do we give? We give to Planned Parenthood. We give to other organizations that are working within our state to end abortion. And so I'm looking into some things to see how we can be involved and put our money where our mouths are. It's one thing to say I'm pro-life, abortion is evil, abortion is murder. That's where I've been for a long time, but what more can we do? Not everyone is called to do everything that everyone else is called to do, but we need to be looking for what God would have us to do. So we will provide... We'll provide for the Pregnancy Resource Center. We'll provide for these things. We'll provide food, clothing, housing. Will we provide adoption? Are you willing to adopt so that a baby is not murdered? That's about as, as pretty much, that's the, that's the end of the line of highest commitment. To save the life of this baby, we will adopt this baby. We'll make sure that any child that we are aware of that is going to be murdered, we will adopt, we will pay for, we will take care of. What about the mother? She doesn't have housing, she doesn't have food, she can't work, she can't work and take care of this baby. What are we willing to do? I don't know what that looks like because we haven't had any opportunity that I'm aware of since I've been here, but I think maybe because we're just not making the needs known or we're not being more active. So this is what we say. This is what we say and this is what we do. These are the truths found in Scripture that come from people who love God and love their neighbor as themselves. So, two things to leave here with. 
If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter your sin, what you might consider the worst sin possible to the smallest sin, no big deal. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Trust in his death and resurrection for forgiveness of your sin today. It's what all of us must do to have all of our sins forgiven. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And secondly, as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who have repented and believed, rescue those who are being taken away to death, whatever it takes. Rescue those who are being taken away to death, whatever it takes. So what is God calling you to do? What is God calling us to do? Will we obey? No matter the cost. Proverbs 24, 10 to 12. You need to read it again. You need to think about it. You need to think through what God has called you to do. Let's close in prayer. Father, this is a heavy truth. And Lord, I pray that it does weigh heavy on us in all of the right ways. In conviction for sin, if we've participated. In conviction of apathy, where we have been not obedient. It would cause us to pray. It would cause us to give. It would cause us to act and look for ways to act, to be involved, to be more involved. Our cry to you, Lord, is to rid our land of this wickedness. Cleanse our land. And that begins with your people confessing and repenting. So, so Lord, for whatever we need to repent of, bring us to repentance. Whatever we need to confess, Lord, bring us to confession. That we might be what you've called us to be. That for the sake of the righteous, for the sake of the righteous, you would cleanse our land. And you would bring this nation to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.